and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the September market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I'll be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. As each year's panoply, pageantry, and possibility of summer transition into the temperatures, light patterns, and life rhythms of autumn, the changing seasons inspire transformation, renewal, and reflection, not only in the natural world, but also in the financial realm. Some perspective can perhaps be gained particularly on the sizable month-to-date sell-off during the first three weeks of September. By looking at the power and persistence of the five-month rally in U.S. equity prices stretching from April through August of this year. As a prime example, the S&P 500 index gained positive 12.7% in April, its best single month since August 1984, positive 4.5% in May, positive 1.8% in June, positive 5.5% in July, and positive 7% in August, contributing significantly to the total positive 60% gain from its March 23rd low of 2,237.4 to its all-time record closing level of 3,580.84 on Wednesday, September 2nd. For the NASDAQ composite index of more than 2,500 stocks, led by a relatively small number of technology-heavy, cash-rich, financially strong companies with well-proven products and enormous consumer bases, the April through August five-month price surge was even more vigorous, with price rises of positive 15.4% in April, its best single month since rising, positive 11.7% in February 2000, positive 6.8% in May, positive 6% in June, positive 6.8% in July, and positive 9.6% in August. This back-to-back series of price gains produced a positive 75.7% increase in the NASDAQ composite from its low of 6,860.67 to its record-closing high of 12,056.44, reached on Wednesday, September 2nd. Over the past 70 years, September has been the least favorable month of the year for stocks on average. With the S&P 500 declining an average of negative 0.6% over the four-week span, falling 41 out of 70 times since 1950, and when August has been an especially strong month, September has turned out to be a particularly bad interval for equities. In both 1986 and 2000, August's S&P 500 price gains exceeded 5% only to be followed by losses of negative 8.5% in September 1986 and negative 5.4% in September 2000. During the 17 presidential election years, which encompass 1952 through 2016, U.S. equities have experienced an average decline of negative 0.2% in September and negative 0.7% in October. Virtually true to form, U.S. equity prices have experienced significant weakness since reaching their respective record highs on September 2nd. Through the market's close on Monday, September 21st, the S&P 500 index and the NASDAQ composite have experienced declines of negative 8.4% and negative 10.6% respectively from their 
early month all-time peaks. It may also be worthwhile to note that, undoubtedly assisted by the Federal Reserve's explicit policies of keeping interest rates low, for the six weeks from mid-August through mid-September, 10-year U.S. Treasury yields have stayed within a fairly narrow window, with each Friday's close at 0.71% on August 14th, 0.64% on August 21st, 0.72% on August 28th, 0.72% on September 4th, 0.67% on September 11th, and 0.69% on September 18th. With interest rates subdued, gold prices over the past six weeks have similarly remained rather quiescent, generally staying within positive or negative 2.1% of the midpoint of their $1,923 to $1,964 per troy ounce trading range during this interval, before exiting the bottom of this range over several days to close at $1,859.90 per troy ounce on September 23rd. Now let's discuss catalysts for the recent U.S. equity market sell-off. The question naturally arises as to the reasons for the September month-to-date price weakness in U.S. equities. In our considered judgment and in no particular order, set forth below are some candidate causes. 1. Disappointment over delays in additional stimulus. As earlier months, rapid recovery in economic activity has begun to slow, financial asset prices have started to reflect concerns over possible further slackening. As for fiscal stimulus, despite weeks of interaction, pronouncements, and informal talks, congressional leaders have remained at an impasse on an economic relief package that might include a second stimulus check for eligible Americans. The total cost of the bill and how the money will be allocated are the main sticking points, with signs of progress towards an agreement emanating from reports that the White House could go up to $1.5 trillion and recent proposals by the Democrats to reduce their original $3 trillion plan to $2.2 trillion. On the monetary stimulus front, the post-meeting comments of the September 15th through the 16th session of the Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, have somewhat frustrated financial market participants, who appear to have been expecting more specific actions. The FOMC did not provide a timeline for further asset purchases, nor did it alter the composition of its current monthly bond buying program, consisting of $80 billion of Treasury securities and $40 billion of agency mortgage-backed securities. 2. Coronavirus concerns slowing or reversing the economic recovery. As of September 21st, the United States was experiencing twice as many new daily cases nationally as in late spring, with some U.S. states in the West, Midwest, and South reporting rising numbers of infections, more than 30 states experiencing a rate of transfer above 1, and the national death toll passing 200,000. According to Johns Hopkins University, total confirmed cases exceeded 6.7 million, accounting for 21.8% of the worldwide total of 30.8 million. Even though the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, IHME, at the University of Washington has recently lowered its estimated total of U.S. deaths for full year 2020 to 378,320 from an estimated 415,000 deaths a few weeks earlier. Financial asset prices have reflected worry over restrictions, shutdowns, 
and the economic fallout associated with the IHME's projection of rising numbers of colder weather and decreased social distancing-related infections leading to more than 3,000 deaths a day by the end of December, compared to 773 deaths a day for the middle two weeks of September. 3. Complacency and Overbought Technical Indicators As a key measure of investor fear in financial markets, the CBOE, Chicago Board Options Exchange, Volatility Index, or VIX, represents a real-time measure calculated using available option prices in the open market to derive investors' expectations of 30-day forward-looking volatility, thus providing insight into investment sentiment, such as the prevailing degree of investment stress and risk aversion, with elevated VIX readings indicating investors' fear and low VIX readings reflecting investors' risk, insouciance, and willingness to assume risk. The VIX closed on each of the four successive Fridays in August at 22.21, 22.05, and 22.96, respectively, indicating a not inconsiderable degree of investor bullishness and risk nonchalance. Among other technical indicators reflecting significantly overbought U.S. equity market conditions entering September included 1. A historically low 0.4 put-to-call ratio, reflecting investors' then-sentiment bias towards higher rather than lower stock prices. 2. Extremely high readings for the relative strength index, which measures the velocity and magnitude of price movements. And 3. The S&P 500 trading at 15% above its 200-day moving average, the highest margin in over 12 years. 4. Greater than normal election year uncertainties. Every presidential election year focuses significant national and international attention on 1. Which candidate will win the White House? 2. Which party will win control of the Senate? 3. Which party will win control of the House of Representatives? And 4. The financial, economic, and investment implications of these outcomes. The results of these elections can exert significant influence on and in many cases will determine individual and corporate taxation levels, federal government spending priorities, cabinet, judicial, and ambassadorial appointments, regulatory emphases, social goals, and not least, bilateral and multilateral geopolitical relationships. In addition to these pivotal issues, concerns have been growing that, due to potential delays in ballot counting owing to a pandemic-related surge in absentee and mail-in voting, with approximately 30% or more of voters anticipated to cast their ballots by mail, U.S. election results may be uncertain for some length of time after Election Day, Tuesday, November 3rd. Consequently, equity market price dampening and risk-off investor behavior may have already begun to surface and may intensify as various popular vote, electoral college, legal challenge, and even constitutional crisis scenarios continue to be brooded about, discussed, and analyzed in the media. The following sections assess what we consider to be important, positive and negative influences on financial asset prices in the near term and further into the future. Now let's discuss bullish constructive factors and influences. 1. New Federal Reserve Inflation Targeting Framework On August 27th at the annual Jackson Hole Symposium, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell and the Federal Open Market Committee, FOMC, released the details of their shift from using a symmetric 2% inflation target to a new flexible average inflation targeting framework. In essence, 
Two implications of this new framework include, one, the Fed has indicated that going forward, it will target and tolerate an inflation overshoot for some length of time during periods of economic expansion to balance out targeted inflation shortfalls experienced for some length of time during economic contractions. And two, in the future, the FOMC will require actual evidence of inflation before it raises interest rates, rather than raising interest rates preemptively in anticipation of rising inflation. Two, lower for longer interest rates. Based on the Fed's new framework and the language in its statement following the FOMC meeting of September 15th through the 16th, financial market participants have taken note that the Fed does not expect core inflation to rise 2% and unemployment to fall 4% until around the end of 2023. All 17 officials who participated in the FOMC meeting indicated that they expect to keep policy interest rates near zero at least through the end of 2021, and 13 of the officials projected that rates will stay there through 2023. As a result, financial market participants currently are projecting interest rates, ceteris paribus, to remain essentially unchanged through year-end 2023 with some reduction in asset purchases beginning a year or so earlier and perhaps a full cessation of such purchases taking place at some point during 2023. 3. Improving GDP Outlook In the Federal Reserve Board's recent update to its June 10th economic projections, the Fed now expects calendar year 2020 real U.S. GDP to decline negative 3.7% versus its earlier projection of a negative 6.5% contraction and year-end unemployment to fall from April's 14.4% reading and August's 8.4% result to 7.6% in December versus 9.3% in its June forecast. For 2021, the Fed now forecasts positive 4% real growth in U.S. GDP, followed by positive 3% growth in 2022. On a quarter-over-quarter annualized basis, after declining negative 5% in first quarter 2020 and negative 31.7% in second quarter 2020, as of September 17th, U.S. real GDP is projected by the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now service to increase positive 32% annualized for third quarter 2020, with mid-September economists' consensus forecasts for fourth quarter 2020 ranging between positive 3% and positive 5% annualized. 4. Upward revisions to analysts' corporate profit projections. According to FactSet and Refinitiv, as of September 18th, bottom-up S&P 500 projections by securities analysts were calling for 1. In third quarter 2020, a year-over-year S&P 500 earnings decline of negative 21.8% and a revenue decline of negative 3.8%. 2. In fourth quarter 2020, an earnings decline of negative 12.8% and a revenue decline of negative 1.2%. 3. In calendar year 2020, an earnings decline of negative 18.2% and a revenue decline of negative 2.8%. 4. In first quarter 2021, earnings growth of positive 13.3% and revenue growth of positive 3.3%. 5. In second quarter 2021, earnings growth of positive 44.3% and revenue growth of positive 13.9%. And 6. In calendar year 2021, earnings growth of positive 26.2% and revenue growth of positive 8.1%. 
Five, encouraging economic data. Among other recent constructive reports, one, non-farm payrolls grew positive 1.4 million in August, following positive 1.8 million jobs added in July, positive 4.8 million jobs added in June, and positive 2.7 million jobs added in May. Two, the National Association of Home Builders Housing Market Index rose five points to 83 in September, the highest reading on record as low mortgage interest rates continue to boost demand for new homes. Three, retail sales boosted in the early months following the onset of the coronavirus pandemic by direct stimulus checks and expanded unemployment benefits. And it is worth pointing out throughout most of this year by low energy prices, which have effectively augmented disposable income for average American households, grew positive 0.6% in August, following gains of positive 0.9% in July, positive 8.4% in June, and positive 17.7% in May. 4. Industrial production grew positive 0.4% in August, following gains of positive 3.5% in July, positive 6.1% in June, and positive 1.4% in May. 5. Leading economic indicators advanced positive 1.2% in August, following gains of positive 2% in July, positive 3.1% in June, and an unchanged level in May. 6. Durable goods orders in July rose positive 11.2%, following gains of positive 7.3% in June, positive 15.8% in May, and a negative 17.2% decline in April, and 7. Institute for Supply Management Surveys of Purchasing Managers, with readings above 50 indicating expansion. For the ISM Manufacturing Index, registered 56 in August compared to 54.2 in July and 52.6 in June. And for the ISM Services Index, registered 56.9 in August compared to 58.1 in July and 57.1 in June. Six, positive incremental contribution of China's economy to global growth. On a year-over-year basis, China's real GDP has exhibited the following pattern. Third quarter 2019, positive 6%. Fourth quarter 2019, positive 6%. First quarter 2020, negative 6.8%. Second quarter 2020, positive 3.2%, with China being the only country among 48 international monetary fund reporting nations to have generated a second quarter 2020 GDP that was higher than at the end of 2019, with third quarter 2020 real year-over-year GDP growth estimated at positive 2.5%, and fourth quarter 2020 at positive 4%, buttressed by resilient export strength and China's retail sales and manufacturing investment turning positive on a year-over-year basis for the first time since the coronavirus outbreak. For calendar year 2020 as a whole, China's real GDP growth is projected to rise positive 0.7% versus a positive 0.5% real GDP estimate earlier this year. 7. Vaccine Progress Following trials, assessing dosing, toxicity, safety, efficacy, immune response, side effects, and manufacturing, along several scientific pathways for 180 coronavirus vaccine candidates among them, the following approaches. Messenger RNA-based, DNA-based, non-replicating viral vector, 
replicating viral vector, and protein-based. It appears that one or more vaccines may, after meeting rigorous FDA standards, may be approved for emergency use in fourth quarter 2020, with rollout for the general population perhaps beginning in the first half or mid-2021, and staging prioritization to be determined by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. All else being equal, financial assets would likely respond positively to the arrival of vaccines, even if numerous companies launch a vaccine at the same time, and the economic and stock market impact will be largely determined by the length of time necessary before humanity achieves sufficient immunity to the disease. Now let's discuss bearish cautionary factors and influences. 1. Fears over a possible second wave of coronavirus infections. Activity-sensitive sectors of the economy and financial markets face pressures associated with cooler weather and the advent of the flu season in Northern Hemisphere causing case counts in Europe and America to rebound. In part because of summer travel, the partial relaxation of lockdown measures, the commencement of the school year, and other factors. 2. Continuing COVID-19 Uncertainties with the path of the economy highly dependent on the governments, businesses, and individuals' responses to the course of the coronavirus and the private and public sector's response to it, many unknowns remain relating to the consistency of application and compliance with state, local, and federal restrictions and significantly whether individual and or herd immunity is achievable and enduring. 3. Decreased likelihood of additional fiscal stimulus with confidence already waning in Congress's ability to structure another stimulus package, chances of such a deal may have been further diminished by the partisan battle over confirmation of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement to the U.S. Supreme Court. 4. Limitations of the Fed's New Framework Despite the Fed's expectations that its new monetary policy framework is likely to raise inflation expectations and thus wages and prices, Given the importance of labor costs in inflation dynamics and the multi-decade roles of technology, e-commerce, globalization, and falling productivity in depressing labor's bargaining power, it is far from certain that ultra-loose monetary policy will be sufficient to create the necessary conditions to meaningfully boost inflation expectations, especially when monetary policy interest rates are at or near their effective lower bound. Lower for longer monetary policies tend to have only limited effectiveness in fighting recessions. Indications of expectations of future inflation, for now subdued to downward, can be found in the yields on U.S. Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, TIPS, which for the following maturities at the close on September 21st were 5 years, negative 1.23%, 7 years, negative 1.11%, 10 years, negative 0.94%, 20 years, negative 0.56%, and 30 years, negative 0.3%. 5. Unintended Consequences of the Fed's New Framework In a worldwide, technologically interconnected financial marketplace, tolerance of inflation episodes to make up for prior interludes of low inflation may erode the faith and trust of foreign holders of U.S. dollar-denominated assets in the continued stability and purchasing power of the American greenback, weakening its position as a global reserve currency. Such a development could exert downward pressure on American citizens' standard of living and might even possibly force the U.S. authorities to raise interest rates, 
Nolan's Volans to defend the dollar. Six, distortive fallout of excessively low interest rates. Among the deleterious repercussions of excessively low interest rates all along the maturity spectrum are, one, a transfer of wealth from savers to borrowers, two, encouragement of the use of leverage for the misallocation of capital for unproductive consumption rather than productive investment, for balance sheet gearing, and for various forms of financial engineering, three, prolongation of the existence of uncreditworthy, moribund companies well past their sell-by dates, four, sustained pressure on net interest margins at financial institutions, and five, driving individual and institutional investors into inappropriately risky investments in search of income generation. Seven, late cycle investor ebullience. Evidence of late stage investor exuberance can be found in several activities, including one, bullish call option buying in large volume. For example, during the month of August in the FANG plus Microsoft and Tesla stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google Alphabet, Microsoft, and Tesla, trading-oriented financial market participants purchased almost 15 times the number of November calls versus the equivalent number of put options, several times the normal ratio. Two, securities trading apps, message boards, social media outlets, and internet sites have continued to draw day traders into the options and equity markets at a level of fervor strikingly reminiscent of those experienced in the late stages of the 1999-2000 dot-com mania. Three, with no specified details as to the use of the proceeds, special purpose acquisition companies, SPACs, raise equity money in initial public offerings, IPOs, from the capital markets and have tended to be popular in highly optimistic market environments. In the past, such vehicles have revealed wide spreads between first quartile and third quartile managers' existing track records, operating skill, and respect of shareholders' interests. Four, high-priced stocks suddenly spiking even higher upon the announcement of a stock split may reflect irrational investor enthusiasm and widespread anticipation that even greater numbers of mainstream investors might be attracted to such shares at their post-split lower prices. Five, in the first six months of 2020, individual investors represented 20% of equity market activity, nearly double the average level for 2010. A meaningful number of homebound, digitally savvy, and electronic games experienced neophyte investors have been transformed into day trading speculators by zero commission rates on stock trades, the suspension of sports betting, and the ability to purchase fractions of shares by the slice, and six. After the recent initial public offering of a company in a highly popular, very hot sector of the technology space was brought to market amidst such fanfare and widespread investor interest, its opening trade took place at double the offering price, producing a valuation of close to 100 times revenue, over five times the previous private funding round for the company six months earlier, and a market capitalization very close to the industry's total addressable market. 8. Elevated Valuations As of September 21st, the forward price-earnings ratio of the S&P 500 index was 21.1, considerably 24% above its five-year average 17, as well as markedly 38% above its 10-year average 15.3, implying investors' expectations, assumptions, and hopes of a substantial pickup in earnings growth and productivity. Among other valuation indicators that appear extended are 1. The so-called Buffett Ratio, which Warren Buffett calls 
probably the best single measure of where valuations stand at any given moment, representing the percentage of U.S. equities total market capitalization relative to aggregate U.S. GDP at 172%. This indicator is considered to be significantly overvalued and to the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio, also known as the CAPE ratio or the Schiller ratio, named after its creator, Yale professor and 2013 Nobel Economics Laureate Robert Schiller, representing prices divided by cyclically adjusted 10-year average earnings after inflation. At a recent level of 30.5, this indicator is considered to be 19% overvalued versus its recent 20-year average of 25.7 and 83% overvalued versus its long-term average of 16.7. We hasten to point out that while overly high or overly low valuations in and of themselves are rarely a trigger for initiating major asset price moves, they nevertheless can be a valuable barometer of prevailing levels of investor euphoria or despondency. 9. Narrow, highly concentrated equity market leadership. Benefiting from widespread investor admiration, solid balance sheets, and appreciation of the fact that lockdown measures and the stay-at-home economy have accelerated the adoption of networking, communications, and online shopping. A substantial part of the 2020 gains in major stock market indices has been attributable to the surging share prices of just a handful of large technology companies. Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft, which together represent 22.3% of the total equity market capitalization of the S&P 500 index. 59% above the long-term concentration average of 14%, and 24% above the prior record level of 18%, reached at the peak of the dot-com bubble. Such narrow breadth has historically tended to represent a poor harbinger of future equity market performance. 10. Large Equity Sales by Corporate Insiders August's stock strength produced net selling of $6.7 billion of their own company shares by U.S. corporate executives the largest dollar amount since November 2015, and as the longtime Barron's editor, Alan Abelson, 1925-2013, constantly used to quip, there are many reasons to sell a stock. Expecting it to rise isn't one of them. 11. Consequences of U.S. Government Deficits and Indebtedness On September 2nd, the Congressional Budget Office, CBO, reported that as a result of the lockdown-induced recession and a dramatic increase in government spending this year, the U.S. budget deficit will amount to $3.3 trillion, representing 16% of GDP, for fiscal 2020, which ends on September 30th. For fiscal 2021, the U.S. budget deficit is projected by the CBO to come in at 8.6% of GDP. The CBO projects that federal debt held by the public will have risen from 35% of GDP in 2007 to reach 98% of GDP at the end of fiscal 2020, 100% in fiscal 2021, and 107% in fiscal 2023. It is important to keep in mind that public debt estimates do not include, one, entitlements such as Social Security and Medicare, which are political promises rather than binding contracts, two, the liabilities of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the housing enterprises guaranteed by taxpayers, and three, a total of $1.5 trillion in student loan debt, which, depending on politics, may at some point end up as a liability of the federal government to the educational institutions to whom the debt is currently owed. 
dealing with the federal government's deficits and indebtedness will not be easy and, at some point in the future, is likely to exert significant influence on interest rates, currency values, and other risk assets. 12. Increasing Balkanization of the Internet Strict limitations on how data is stored and transmitted, location requirements for video sharing and other apps, restraints on the services users in a given country can access and the information they receive, and special conditions governing how companies structure their operations are fracturing the World Wide Web, imposing higher costs and limiting growth opportunities for many leading global technology companies. 13. Ramifications of Further Worsening in U.S.-China Relations The course of 2020 thus far has witnessed a widening ideological divide, mutual sanctions on senior officials, forced consulate closures, visa bans, and progressively more confrontational policies on the part of the U.S. and Chinese governments over trade, technology, human rights, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Xinjiang, and superpower rivalry in the South China Sea, in the Taiwan Strait, in the Middle East, in cyberspace, and in orbit. Such actions have contributed to a significant downgrading of the state of the two nations' relations. Now, progressively characterized by extraterritoriality, recriminations, acrimony, and the risk of more serious clashes. It has been reported that through the end of August, no more than 40% of the terms of the country's Phase 1 trade deal has been fulfilled, with each country considering how to implement measures against the other country without causing irreparable damage to the overall relationship or to its own economy and industries. Both nations have prepared lists of unreliable entities that target foreign companies due to data privacy and national security concerns. The charged state of overall relations between America and China, coupled with the risks, however small, of military flare-ups, argues for allocations to high-quality assets with value-holding power as well as some appropriate degree of liquidity that can be put to work should asset prices come under pressure owing to more elevated bilateral antagonism. 14. Pre- and post-election uncertainty With current projections that 33% or more of total 2020 ballots are likely to be cast by mail due to pandemic fears, the degree and pathways for foreign interference in the electoral process, expected delays in vote tabulation, and significant legal resources already marshaled to litigate disputed election outcomes, financial asset prices are increasingly expected to experience significant volatility in the time leading up to and especially after the U.S. national elections on Tuesday, November 3rd. Voting results for the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives are bound to have important implications for corporate and individual taxes, federal spending priorities, the conduct of policymaking, regulatory activity, geopolitical positioning, and, not least, financial asset prices. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. 1. Strategies and Tactics In the current environment and throughout its expected evolution over the next several years, we believe that special thought, planning, and attention needs to be paid to the investor's most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy. 1. Diversification which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which means using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio. 
while at the same time adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though likely permanent, price declines. 3. Risk Management which means understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the various roles of cash, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decade-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, patience, and longevity in compounding dividend, coupon, and other income flows. 5. Asset protection and husbandry, which address considerations of taxation, estate planning, cybersecurity, monitoring, reporting, administrative costs, access, and custody. 2. Themes to consider over the intermediate term. We continue to counsel a healthy exposure to equities, with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, geographies, and, where appropriate, from a cost, timing, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed below are a number of themes to be taken into consideration over the intermediate term in selecting asset categories, asset classes, asset managers, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, and modern monetary theory being pursued by the authorities within shifting money and credit cycles to service massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. Two, new power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new trade patterns, new on and offshoring channels, new energy sources and resources, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person-to-person -person and business-to-business -business work, leisure, learning, and wellness. Three, all weather sectors and companies that can thrive regardless of uncertain and altering social values, wealth distribution, public health, and political trends and conditions. Four, through U.S. and certain non-U.S. companies, exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the massively expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. 5. Companies and sectors with demonstrated successful track records in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and robust multi-year return on equity, generated through revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through excessive leverage, meaningfully above the firm's weighted average cost of capital and 6. Technology enablers and dominators in artificial intelligence, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, biotechnology, battery and energy inventions, robotics, quantum computing, and electric vehicles. 3. Keeping things in perspective. Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize that the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological pervasiveness, and, not least, the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. For the current environment and conditions expected in the period ahead, we have set forth some thoughts in the following sections. 
4. Enhancing and preserving. We admit to some continuing degree of unease over the apparent disconnect between, on the one hand, the growing mainstream popularity of stocks with the rapid recovery in U.S. equity prices, and on the other hand, the continued uncertain economic and post-election outlook. Our short-term inclination at this point in time is to take note of the Federal Reserve's ongoing support of financial asset prices while taking advantage of such strength to upgrade the quality of portfolio holdings. 1. Jettisoning lower quality, higher risk assets. 2. Selectively carrying some cash-like liquidity. and 3. With timing restraint and price discipline, adding to attractively priced higher quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 5. Equity emphasis and de-emphasis. Particularly, in the current conditions of very low U.S. Treasury interest rates, it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects, which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, should retain a valuation premium. Within equities, 1. We continue to recommend beginning to shift some emphasis from growth sectors, companies, and managers towards the moderate inclusion of some value sectors, companies, and managers. 2. We continue to counsel modestly adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space to our primary emphasis on large capitalization enterprises and 3. For the time being, we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities over international developed and emerging market stocks. 6. Focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset manager sectors and specific companies that can benefit from major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including 1. Incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. 2. A focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and where possible the release of pent-up consumer demand, and 3. Advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level, in equities, we reiterate our emphasis in point number 2, of the previously discussed themes on identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like, cash-rich balance sheets, limited debt, positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and tenable profit margins rather than through excessive levels of leverage. 7. Balancing Growth and Value Sectors On a year-to-date basis through Tuesday, September 22nd, the iShares Russell 1000 Growth ETF, symbol IWF, and including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had returned a positive 21.2%, while the iShares Russell 1000 Value ETF, symbol IWD, and including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial companies had returned negative 13.6%. This 34.8 percentage point growth minus value returns differential has widened by a further 3.4 percentage points from among the already historically widest such divergences in more than three decades, as cited in our August monthly commentary, and to us appears to argue for considering some piecemeal prudent reallocation from selected growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers.
8. U.S. Dollar Outlook After declining negative 7.4% in 2017, appreciating positive 4.3% in 2018, and marginally slipping negative 0.2% in 2019, the DXY U.S. Dollar Index, measured versus a basket of six major currencies, the Euro, Japanese Yen, Swedish Krona, British Pound, Canadian Dollar, and Swiss Franc, had, following a bit of mid-month strength, as of the market close on September 23rd, declined negative 1.9% year-to-date. Following the U.S. dollar strength in first quarter 2020 as a safe haven, flight to quality asset during the pandemic, and lockdown-induced global financial market turbulence earlier this year, the DXY index had gained positive 6.7% year-to-date as of March 20th. We believe the U.S. dollar may continue on its gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to the Federal Reserve's stated preference for lower yields in the United States, the U.S. dollar's income-generating advantage is likely to remain considerably narrower versus other major currencies than it has been over the recent past. 9. Fixed Income Securities We affirm our predilection for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum, both in investment-grade and in high-yield bonds. In taxable and tax-exempt bonds, where we continue to see some areas of value on a taxable equivalent basis. We prefer maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 10. Alternative Investments in Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to gold and or gold mining shares ETFs high-quality master-limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity and select investments in private credit, private real estate, and opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the two-steps-forward, one-step-backward recovery therefrom. This concludes our September Market Commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners' Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested.